0: Thanks for listening to The Vine's podcast. The Vine is a church in Austin, Texas with a simple goal of following Jesus together. And we hope this message helps you in doing just that. Friends, I'm really excited about this new series. This has been something that we've been thinking about and planning for a while. If you do have your journals, you can turn to page 27. That'll, That'll be where you find your message notes. Uh, We're doing this in part because we've planned a lot of material in each of these sermons, so this is really good for each of us to think through and process as well as talk to people about, and uh, yeah, so we're excited about kicking off this series, Live a Better Story. We live in a story-saturated culture. It's just a part of our life. There are stories all around this, and I even realized that this this past week when I thought about how our stories are part of my day-to-day life. So in the morning I wake up, and when I'm on my A game, I, I, I open up the Bible. The first thing that I do when I wake up, and I read a story and I think about the power of, of this story. I pray through this story, I put myself in the story, and then after that, usually, hopefully after that, I look at the stories of the day, open up my phone, see all the news. I like to have my Bible study before I look at the news because it's just helpful to make sense of things. And so I open up the news, I read the stories of the day, and then, you know, there's the breakfast crunch of trying to feed the kids, get out the door on time. On the way there, we're listening to music, some of which tells a story. I drop off Dylan and some of her neighbors, and then I listen to a podcast. Wherever I'm going, I listen to a story. And then I get to what I'm doing, and I spend most of my day talking to people, hearing from their stories of their life, sharing stories from my life. I get home, and I get home at 5.30 every single day, right, Jen? Every single day, 5.30, never am late. And uh, we sit down at dinner, and and what's the question that we ask? How was your day? Which is another way of saying, tell me the story of your day. I tell those stories, we have a little family playtime, and then we we'll go upstairs to read stories to the kids, and we read the same stories over and over and over again. And once the kids are finally down, it's like this weird hostage situation, it's like a reverse hostage situation where I'm trying to convince them to stay in their room, please stay in the room, go to bed. And then finally, I, you know, tromp down the stairs, plop onto the couch, and sometimes Jen and I just, we have enough energy just to escape in a movie or in a TV show, my whole day involves stories, and I know I'm not alone in that. Stories play a real pivotal role in our lives, and it makes me wonder why. Why is it that we as people love stories? I think stories, they help us escape our world. They, they bring us joy. They make us not feel that we're alone in what we're going through. But I think also stories help us make sense of life. They help us make sense of what this world is, 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 is means and what it's going on in this world. Uh, David McLean, he's a contributor to a radio show and podcast called This American Life, and he told of an experience that, for me, just made me think of the power of story. He was a Fulbright scholar when he was an undergrad and had the opportunity to go and study in India. And so he went to India, and part of it was he had to take malaria medicine, uh, you know, uh, to prevent malaria, and something, he had some weird reaction to it where it, it, the medicine caused amnesia, this real fluke thing, but when he took the medicine, he just forgot everything. And this is what he said, on October 13th, 2002, I woke up in a train station in Secundabad, India, with no passport, and no idea who I was or why I was in India. Like every parent's nightmare, right? And so he got off the train and just found a police officer and said, I, I don't know who I am. I don't know what's going on. And the police officer says, I've seen this many times. You foreigners come to our country. You use our drugs. You know, I, I, I know what it takes. So then the police officer takes David to this halfway house ran by this mother who lost her son to drugs. And it was like a crash course of shame where she said, you know, she, she through hard love he was trying to teach him that he was destroying his life. He was causing rubble in his family's experience. And within a couple years, he too would end up dead. And he had such an emotional response to this that they actually had to take him to the hospital, like the you know psychiatric hospital. And there, because he was so disoriented, they thought it'd be a good idea to bring the other Americans who were also druggies that were there in India together to make him feel like he's not alone. And they encouraged these other Americans to make up stories about your escapade so that he, so that he maybe could calm down. And so they made up all these stories of how these wild things they did and And they thought it'd be good for him to smoke cigarettes. And so David started chain-smoking cigarettes every moment he was awake, and he had never smoked a cigarette before that day, ever before in his life. And then for whatever reason, he all of a sudden remembered one day, he remembered his parents' phone number, called up his parents, and sobbing like a little child, apologized for destroying their life, apologized for being so selfish, for, for running away in which he did. And his parents said, what are you talking about? David, you're, you're studying in the university. We, we, we saw you like a, a couple weeks ago. You're, you're not a druggie. We're, we're coming to get you. And so his parents flew to India. And as soon as, as soon as David saw his parents, it was like this light went off. And not only did he recognize them, but through his parents, he remembered himself. And when I heard this story, I was just thinking to myself, wow, that's like, that's the power of story. For David, he lost his identity being told who he was, what he wasn't, what he was doing in his life, what he was doing in other people's life. It was an amazing thing of what was going on in and through his experience. And it's made me wonder, what are the stories that we have been accepting in our life? There's stories telling us who we are. There's stories all around us telling us why life exists, why you are here. And for better or worse, we oftentimes just adopt them. We need something to wake us up. Just like David had his parents walk into that room and the light bulb went off. We need something to interrupt our life to remember to remind us who we are, why we exist, and for whom we exist. That's the goal of this seven-week series is to understand God's story. And in understanding God's story, we might understand how to live a better life, how to leave a better story in this world. Now, most stories begin with a, a beginning section called the exposition. Now the exposition is the portion of the story that makes the rest of the story make sense. It gives all the essential background information. It guess that's the context. It gives the main characters. It might give a hint, hint of where the story is going. It's like the rolling words at the beginning of Star Wars, right? A long time ago in a what? far, far away, just in that first line of that, of that rolling slides, we know that we are leaving this world. Like, everything we know about, uh, you know, living in earth is just, throw that aside, because we're going somewhere else. So, expositions give us the understanding of where the story is going to take place. And usually within the exposition is a literary element called, there is two different things, called stasis and trigger. Stasis and trigger. Now, stasis introduces the world of the story it sets the context of the story usually in a stable way that whether healthy or unhealthy this is the way that life existed but then something disrupts that story something disrupts the stasis this thing is called the trigger and the trigger disrupts the story and it propels it forward for example in the wizard of oz let's take that for example dorothy starts off where in Kansas, right, and you know, she's there with Auntie M, you know, and she's in this, in this farmland and wishing to, that she could be somewhere else. So there's like this stasis that's happening, it's stable, but then something disrupts the stasis. There's a trigger that, was, uh, that interrupted the story, which, what was the trigger in that story? The tornado, like it just, it just picked her up and it sucked her away and it dropped her off in a technicolor world with ruby slippers, with flying monkeys, with singing munchkins. And all of a sudden, the story just changes. It's like the trigger happened, right? Or like in the arthouse film, if, you, if you're film junkies like me, the arthouse film called Boss Baby that I saw this past week. <laughs> the first two minutes of Boss Baby is this only child receiving unending attention and love from the parents, like it's just this, this never-ending montage of love and affection and playtime, the stasis was sweet, but it was disrupted when, after, when they were put, tucking in this, their son, and they asked the question, how would you feel about a baby brother? And, you know, it's, this has a slow motion like that. Baby, brood, what, baby? And all of a sudden, like all firstborns know, the controlled world that you once loved is now over with. The trigger has been pulled. And so it is in that. And so for us, all, most stories begin with stasis and then trigger. And it shouldn't be all that surprising that the Bible begins in the exact same formula, The Bible begins with an exposition, with Genesis one through four, and Genesis one through four is like a flashback of sorts that gives us all the information that we need to understand the rest of the story. It introduces the main characters, it gives us a hint of what's going on, it gives us a lens to understand life, what was normal before the trigger was pulled. Genesis one and two paints a picture of a perfect world, where God created with order and abundance and flourishing. And after each day of creation, God would stop and look at the creation and go, ah, that is good. And then the next day, would happen, And order and flourishing and creation would take place. And this is good, the creator would stay. And this crescendo of creation was happening in the Genesis 1. It ends on the sixth day where God created humanity in verse uh, Genesis 1, 27. So God created mankind in his own image. In the image of God, he created them. Male and female, he created them. So we understand immediately there's something about our creation that's gonna help us make sense of who humanity is, created in the image and likeness of God. In verse 28, God blessed them and said, be fruitful and increase in number, fill the earth and subdue it. God saw that he had ma- what he had made, and it was very good. So one of the very first things that humanity ever heard the voice of the creator say was, you are so good. And as elementary as that might seem, I think many of us, that longing to hear the same words from our, our creator, God, to look at us inside and go, you are so good, There is this longing within us. The story of this world, the story of humanity, begins with delight. Begins with delight. But it wasn't only God's delight. In Genesis 2, when God saw that Adam was alone, God created Eve. And I love what happens when Adam sees Eve for the very first time. Adam did what men would continue to do throughout time when they don't know what else to say and they're in front of someone who's stirring their emotions. Uh, Adam broke into poetry. Then he said in verse 23 the man said, Now this is bone of my bones and flesh of my flesh. She shall be called woman, for she was taken out of man. Now, what Adam is reciting in this poem is not like some masculine flexing, like, Don't forget it, you came for me, you belong to me. No, this, this poetry is, is actually pointing to something of unity. It's saying, my, my bones are inside of you. My flesh is, is your flesh. My life is in your life. It's this beautiful picture of diversity and unity and harmony. And this beautiful moment of stasis concludes with verse 25. And Adam and his wife were both naked and they felt no shame. Like, that's the stasis. That's the beginning. That's what something we all were created for. A life of harmony without shame. To experience the goodness and the beauty in a perfect life with God. You know, oftentimes in Christian circles, if you've been around long enough, you'll hear oftentimes with theology the idea of original sin. This idea of understanding who we are is, you know, we have to understand original sin. Oftentimes what we forget is, no, that's not how the story began. It was original goodness. This helps us understand of why we exist in this world, how we exist in this world, the longings within our souls and our hearts, that our story begins with peace and security with acceptance. You are so good. With love, with significance, with being given a purpose to, to go and subdue and, and fill. But also, our story begins with goodness, a life without shame. And if only it could have stayed that way. If only it could have stayed that way. But then the trigger happens in Genesis 3. Genesis 3 1. Now the serpent was more crafty than any of the wild animals the Lord God had made. He said to the woman, Did God really say you must not eat from any tree in the garden? Now notice the tactic here. The serpent wanted to introduce a simple question. Did God really say? By the way, I I think it's okay for us to be inquisitive. I think God's big enough for our questions. But it's the posture in which we ask our questions. Did God really say? Like throwing a seed of distrust into God's word. But then Eve recited God's commandment. Uh, God did say, this is in verse three, but God did say you must not eat fruit from that tree that is in the middle of the garden and you must not touch it or you will die. So then the enemy changes the, tra- the, the tactic. The enemy outright challenges God's word. You will not certainly die, the serpent said to the woman, for God knows that when you eat from it, your eyes will be opened and you will be like God. You will be like God, knowing good and evil. What is the serpent saying here in these simple words? Is what he's saying here is that God's withholding from you. You're not going to die. If you, if you were to just to, to take out and reach out on that thing that's there, if only you were to do that, you would actually be more alive. You would be more powerful. You would be like God. You're missing out. When the woman saw that the fruit of the tree was good for food and pleasing to the eye and also desirable for gaining wisdom she took it and ate it and uh, also gave it to her husband who was with her like he's not off like being perfect he's probably just going uh. <laughs> so Adam was there the whole time and he ate it and then notice the weird juxtaposition in these words in verse 9 then the eyes of both of them were opened, and then they realized they were naked, or Texas naked. So they sewed fig leaves together and made coverings for themselves. At this tragic moment, everything unraveled with this trigger. Paradise was lost, and this really tragic reversal happens. They were created without shame, but immediately they covered themselves they pursued wisdom they went and grabbed for wisdom but they actually lost knowledge they lost wisdom they lost harmony with god their eyes were opened but sadly that they were also blinded at that moment they weren't able to see and understand themselves to see and understand their own goodness and beauty like it's like the spiritual amnesia happened a sense of forgetfulness a loss In verse eight, then man and his wife heard the sound of the Lord as he was walking in the garden in the cool of the day. I don't don't know why, I just love the phrase that he was walking in the cool of the day, like this relational picture of God walking with Adam and Eve. And they hid from the Lord among the trees of the garden, but the Lord called to the man, where are you? For me, this is like three of the most tragic words in all the Bible. Where are you? Adam, Eve, where, where are, you're supposed to be here with me. Where are you? This is where you belong, with me. And I think God might be still asking the same question. Adam responded, I, I heard that you were in the garden and I was afraid because I was naked so I hid. We were created for this uninterrupted life of joy with God and this trigger was pulled and our instinct immediately is to hide and to cover verse 11, God said, Who told you that you were naked? Have you eaten from the tree that I commanded you not to eat from? The man said, The woman you put here with me, she gave me some fruit from the tree, and I ate it. Then the Lord said to the woman, What is it you have done? The woman said, The serpent deceived me, and I ate it. And brokenness entered this world, and Adam and Eve were banished from the garden. And this incredible loss happened. But God's story of wild redemption begins. This trigger was pulled, but something else began. It is this love story of a creator and a redeemer and a savior who's going to pursue humanity through every bit of their hiding and their covering to win them over. God hates hates losing things if we know the stories of Jesus, God hates losing things. And he won't stop until we are found again. The exposition is shared to help us make sense of this world. It tells us why we were created, why there's perpetual conflict, why we so easily blame one another, why we have shame and regret stuck to us, why the human condition is marked with this weird sense of homelessness in the homesickness that we all have. This exposition tells us also who created you. We were created for Genesis one and two, but we live in a Genesis three world. And one of the byproducts of living in this world is a, is a sense of blindness. That we often can be so blind to remembering what life is about. We can be blind to remembering who we are. We can be blind to see who God is. And I think for us, for the first step for us to live a better story is for us to be honest about the life that we're living here and now. A great example of this comes from a movie in 1998, a movie called Truman. Anyone seen the movie Truman? Anyone's like, man, that was a long time ago. I'm not sure if I remember it. It was, this movie is honestly kind of prophetic for its day and time because this was way before reality TV really was as big as it is now. The story of Truman is uh, he was taken as a baby and every moment of his life was filmed. Every moment of his, of his childhood, it was uh, filmed for the whole world to see. Every person in his life were all actors from his wife, to his best friend, to his co-workers. Everyone was in on this, but he didn't see that it, he was not living in reality, that that everything in his life was fabric, fabricated. And even though he never left his hometown, uh, he just was, was surrounded by this world. And it was the most popular show in all the world. But then something happened. Some, something happens, and a trigger is pulled, and the stasis is interrupted, where his eyes begin to be opened. Let's watch this scene. And so it's just a simple light that fell from the sky, but all of a sudden a trigger is pulled, and his eyes started being opened that there's a deeper truth, that maybe the world that he was experiencing wasn't the full world, the real world, the deeper world that exists in, in life. And wh- one, a life that's beyond his control, beyond the comfort of the story around him. In this great scene, it comes later on when all of a sudden Truman's eyes are be- being opened. This mastermind behind this uh, fabricated world that he's living in was asked by someone, how, how is it that Truman doesn't put it all together, that everything around him is made up? And in this powerful line, he's, the creator says this. He says, we accept the reality of the world that we are presented We, way too often, accept the reality of the world that we're presented. We accept the world that's given to us, that's surrounded us. We so often just go with the flow. And it leaves me the question, leaves us the question, what story are we accepting? What's the common story of our culture, of our life, of our surroundings that maybe a light falling to the sky, we'd go, oh, I wonder if there's something more sociologists did a study of different nations and cultures, they asked the simple question, as they went around the different parts of the world, what is the most important thing in, different, in your country? And in China, let's just take a guess, in China, what's the most important thing, uh, thing you think in Chinese culture? Education, ding, 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 ding. Here, you get a marble. <laughs> no, just kidding, that'd be, a, that'd be a week of life, you know. <laughs> in Italy, any, any ideas? Not food, (laughs) that's our, that's what we would want. Family, good, family. Perilini would say that. Uh, In America, not money, happiness, happiness. What is the most important thing in our culture? It's happiness. The story that we're given in our culture is a story of consumerism, consumption, in comforts, that if you want to experience the real thing in life, you, you get to consume as much as you want, anything you want. You get all the comforts that you've always wanted, all the ones that you're looking at over the green grass on the other hill. Oh, maybe one day I could get that. All the, all the comforts that we ever wanted. Did you know that it's, some people have guessed that we receive about 5,000 advertisements a day, and all of them might be saying in subtle ways that your life is not complete. Like, what, your life would be better if you had this thing, this shiny thing, if only you had this thing. You know, like, only then would your life be better. And slowly and surely, we might, we might adopt a a shallow story. An author, Donald Miller, he asked, if your life was summarized on a movie poster, what would it say? That, That might be a good exercise for us this week, is actually, draw out a movie poster of our life. He says this, if, you were to, if your life would be summarized on a movie poster, what would it say? Would it say that you're trying to pay down your mortgage? Would it say you wanted to buy a larger television? There's nothing morally wrong with wanting a Volvo. It's just, a, it's just the stuff of boring stories. There's nothing wrong with all these things, but is that the story we really want to tell in and through our life? I think we oftentimes... We accept the wrong screenplay. God's exposition te- teaches us that we are created for more, that there's a deeper story. And the good news is that God is not done writing in and through your life. God is not done inviting you into the story that God wants to write, the grand story, one that deals with conflict, with transformation, with a cast of supporting roles, with hope and ultimate redemption you were created with the story of God echoing in your heart. And the difficult truth we must deal with is this. If you want to experience that kind of life, if you want to live a better story, if you really want to live a better story, you're going to have to do something difficult. The challenging truth is that if you want to live the type of story that God wants to write in in your life, this story won't be about you. That's the challenging, difficult truth of the way in which God writes stories in people's lives. This is so challenging. The story won't be about you. If you give yourself up to this, what's so challenging for us is we want to write our own story. We we want to take control. We still hear the voice of the tempter saying, You could be like God. You could write your own story. You could you could reach out and take what you deserve. God's story is not good enough. God's story is withholding from you. You can write your own story. But to enter this story, you must give yourself over to God. You must turn over your script that you've already written through your life. You must fire yourself as the casting agent and manager. Now Jesus is your writer. Jesus is the casting agent. He's the director, the set designer, the editor, the director. And the invitation into this story might be in the simple words that Jesus said, for those who want to find themselves must lose themselves. If those of you who want to live a better story, you might need to retire your own script. So I have a trigger of sorts to ask, a trigger of a question to ask you. It's this right here. This is our main question for this week. Would you rather be the lead role in your small story or play a supporting yet crucial role in God's story? This is the big question for us. Would you rather be the lead role in your small story or playing a supporting yet crucial role in God's story? Because you can be the lead in your own small story. That is an option. You can take control. You can try to write your script out as much as you can, Or you could receive this invitation from Jesus to play a part in God's story, a story that extends throughout time, throughout the world, that's bringing about new life and redemption that leads to eternity. So, which do you choose? And how does your life already answer this question? Would you rather be a brushstroke in God's masterpiece, or would you prefer to paint your picture in the fog of a mirror? If you want to choose your supporting role, that means that you follow Jesus. It means you give over your own script to God and say, God, I want you to to tell me how to live my role. I want you to tell me, instruct me how to to play my part. Jesus, your priorities are my priorities. Your dreams are my dreams. Your kingdom is, I'm going to try to make that as much as I can. I want to live into it. I want to push your kingdom out in and through my life. And if we allow this exposition of the Bible to teach us anything, we know that God writes great stories, and he can do so in and through your life.